three, two, one. Here we go. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to the sesquicentennial episode 150 of the No Normal Show, brought to you by Revive. This is where we leave all things status quo, traditional, old school, and boring in the dust and celebrate the new, the powerful, the innovative, the future, all related to how brands can lead the way in health. I'm your co-host, Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer at Revive. I'm joined by co-host Stephanie Weirwell, who's SVP of Integrated Marketing at Revive. Hello again, Stephanie. Hello, hello, Chris. Very excited for this special episode. Very It's a very special episode of Different Strokes. That was one of my favorite comedies back in the day. It's probably that probably predates almost everybody on here except for our special guest, who we'll get to in a second. You also heard laughter there from our co-host, our show's producer, senior marketing manager at Revive, Chase Kleckner. Hello, Chase. Hello, Chris. 150 of these. We've had a lot of these so far. 100, 150. That is that is many. Somebody needs to figure out what the Roman numeral for that is. I have no idea Ooh. what that would be. Uh, but that would be great to share before the, the podcast is out. I had to look up sesquicentennial. Though I remember sesquicentennial because I lived in the town right out of college that celebrated sesquicentennial um, when I was there. So it was burned into my brain. That's 150. And that is why it's 150. So it's, it's a very special episode, which is why we have our very special guest who's been with us before. But we're thrilled to have him back. Wendell Potter. Wendell is a former health insurance executive, New York Times bestselling author, healthcare and campaign finance reform advocate, and authority on corporate and special interest propaganda. In addition, he has testified before several U.S. Senate, House, and state legislative panels on how health insurance companies and their quest to meet Wall Street profit expectations contribute not only to the rising number of uninsured and underinsured Americans, but also to unsustainable health system costs, Wendell has authored the award-winning New York Times best-selling book, Deadly Spin, which my wife gave to me the first year we met about 10 years ago. It's an incredible book. Uh, Deadly Spin, an insurance company insider, speaks out on how corporate PR is killing healthcare and deceiving Americans. Wendell, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Well, Chris, thanks for having me back. And hello, Stephanie. Hello, Chase. And it's an honor to be your, what, your sesquicentennial uh, guest today. Did I say it right? RSG, we can go with SG, sesquicentennial guest, kind of like OG. You're an OG too. You, you were on our show, I think, back in 2020. Is that wow. right? Yeah, I think so. It, I think it was in the first year. Wow. Dang on, that's a long time ago. <laughs> it is a long time ago, um, though it does feel, in some ways, it feels like another century, and in other ways, it feels like it was just yesterday. I will share that I flew to Chapel Hill, which is where I'm at today. And this is the first time I've flown without the mask mandate, which was which was awesome and weird and scary all at the same time. <laughs> Has anybody else flown with that yet? No, I flew last week before it was removed. Uh, it's crazy how it can change overnight. I'm flying oh, yeah. in two weeks with kids, three kids, and uh, I'm excited not to have to make sure that they're wearing their mask <laughs> all the time. My son was like, I don't know, Dad, I, I lick my mask the whole time. I'm like, oh, boy. 
So this he's the excited. Same son that jumped off the refrigerator. <laughs> it is. Is That's this the, the same one son that jumped off the refrigerator? Chase. Okay. Okay. Well, who knows? By then, they might have reinstated it because they're appealing the decision. So, um, I I told our flight attendant when we were talking about it that if they were to do that, I don't think it would go very well. It was one thing to keep it where it was, but now that you've unleashed the kraken, that is no masks. I'm not sure that it would it would be very good to go back. So I guess we'll see, Chase. We'll think of you when you're flying into. <laughs> Thanks. All right. So we are here. We're going to have our guest share with us a lot of opinions. Wendell was kind enough uh, to be an interview interviewee for Joe Public 2030 book. Uh, we have talked about uh, the constricted consumerism, which we've just kind of finished talking about, but Wendell had a lot to say about that. Uh, also about the funnel wars and other parts of the book, uh, as we know, and as we heard, he's an expert. So we're thrilled to have you here, Wendell. Why don't you just start real quickly by giving folks a little bit of your history. Tell folks where you've been. I know I read your bio, but uh, I think your background is fascinating. So why don't, you let, why don't you let people know kind of who you are and what you're about and where you've been? Well, thanks a lot, uh, Chris. Actually, I'm I'm from not too far from where you are right now. I grew up hmm. uh, uh, in the South, born in North Carolina, raised in Tennessee. I mention that because there's some relevance to my ultimate decision to uh, change careers, but I was a journalist in my first career uh, throughout Tennessee and then ultimately in Washington, but I had a longer career in uh, communications, um, uh, in, in particular for two of the very largest health insurance companies, Humana and Cigna. Uh, we call them health insurers back then. I think we're going to have to come up with another name for them uh, soon. <laughs> I, 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 I saw an article, which I haven't read yet, that refers to pay viders. And I think that may be something that oh. is pretty, pretty awkward to say, but uh, these big companies are, are changing very rapidly. Uh, they're, 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 they're shape shifting. And, uh, but I worked uh, uh, at, for them um, uh, for the period of time in which they were really getting very deeply into managed care, but then making a, a huge shift while I was there into consumer directed healthcare or, uh, consumerism, if you will, um, and um, uh, the advent of high, deduct high deductible plans, which we euphemistically referred to as consumer-driven health plans. The, the best euphemism of all time, as <laughs> exactly. if consumers were out there picketing to say, we want to spend more, we want to spend more. Yeah, That's what I imagine. When that, is that where it came from? Yeah, you didn't no. see those pickets? Yeah, no. you didn't see all those pickets, all those... All those uh, 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 all those demonstrations demanding uh, the ability to pay more for health care. Yes, we got our way. That was that was the good guys won that one. <laughs> the good guys won that one. And gosh darn, we're paying a lot. <laughs> we are. We are. Yeah, we got our wish. But I left I left that career. Yes. Let me just uh, finish that off by saying I quit. <laughs> and, I, and I have since then become a pretty vocal critic of of my old industry. I write a fair amount and talk a fair amount and uh, uh, really grateful to be on the show today. Yeah. It's going to be really exciting to, to chat with you today and hear a little bit about your perspective, given your, given your background and then given what you've seen since then. So um, 
Speaking of, we would love to talk to you about consumerism, uh, as you just brought up. So there's there's multiple sides of the story of consumerism, and it's a it's certainly a hotly contested debate. Um, and I'll just give some some bit of a setup, uh, maybe for those who are coming in fresh. Uh, in Joe Public 2030, we talk a little bit about the multiple sides of consumerism, right? So. The fact that what it's intended to do, in theory, is create more choices, more access to information, give consumers more skin in the game so they can have more control. And as you're, to your point, theoretically, more 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 control in terms of um, maybe how these payviders have have been talking about it. On the other hand, uh, the idea that consumerism actually isn't what we have hoped it to be, and there is actually less choices. And as consumers have become increasingly responsible for their own health, they might actually become less and less empowered in the choices that they have for care, especially in situations where there's higher acuity, high cost situations. So um, we'd just love to hear your perspective on this. Do you think consumerism is, is dead or alive? Uh, and um, where do you see it headed? Get the bleep button ready. Get the bleep button ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's time to uh, uh, you know, schedule the funeral just yet. But uh, I, I think it's, well, it will soon have outlived its, uh, its time on Earth, probably. Uh, I, I I think with a lot of good things, uh, well maybe with everything uh, that seems to be good for us, it's uh, consumerism as a as an idea probably had some merit back in the day. Uh, we all are certainly consumers of stuff, of goods and services, and that includes healthcare. Uh, the desire at that time was to move away from using the term patients uh, because we're not always patients, but we. Uh, consume. And uh, we haven't really had an aversion to being called consumers. So the idea was to uh, sneak in, sneak one over on us by uh, telling us that uh, when I say we, I'm talking about those of us who were in the insurance business at that time, uh, but a lot of folks in the in the consulting business, uh, the big consulting houses and, and others who were advising uh, employers, that this was the the way to go that the managed care model had had uh, outlived its usefulness. It wasn't saving money. Uh, so we had to have something else. And this is what that something else was. Uh, I, I do think there will continue to be some element of consumerism. But the reason it, you know, the various reasons why it failed was one, uh, uh, it was marketed as something that we were all eager to embrace and we were not. Uh, and uh, the other is that, for it to really work, you have to have transparency. You have to have something that doesn't exist right now in healthcare, and it's going to be a long time if ever we have the kind of uh, true transparency, if you will, whether we're talking about quality of care or price of care. We just don't have it in ways that are accessible uh, to so-called consumers. Yeah, and in the book, Wendell, you know, we, we talked a little bit about how um, – what's it been 20 years yeah. since consumerism was kind of introduced and we're, we're still kind of standing on the sidelines that's waiting for the parade to come by. Maybe a yeah. fair way to put it. I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, and, and some folks are, are just uh, kind of given up on that parade uh, really uh, being of anything of, of real value to them. Uh, I don't think this is, this is really something either that most regular folks uh, 
have any idea that it was a thing, that consumerism was a thing. They see the consequences of it and are not too happy with a lot of what they're seeing. Uh, certainly it was promised as a way uh, not only of giving us uh, uh, the, what, what, putting us in the driver's seat or something like that, making us uh, uh, have more control over our health care. That was one of our talking points at that time. Uh, I, I don't think people feel that that, that, that has happened. Uh, things have happened to them, but not that they have been able to feel that they are in control. We also were told that this was going to be a way that uh, would control the or reduce the inflation of health insurance premiums. We haven't seen that really happen either. So I don't think that uh, consumers have seen uh, there have been many benefits of this whole strategy at all. So it may have to have a new name uh, as, as the industry or whatever the consultants come up with next. It's going to have to have uh, some new name that we'll have to uh, figure out how to market around, I guess. Yeah. I think that's that's super interesting. The point about, you know, typically, at least in other industries, you're purchasing something, you're buying something, you have the choice, you have the ability to make that decision. Um, what's interesting that, that you bring up, and actually you, I think, shared this recently on LinkedIn, that uh, payers have, you know, kind of made the, the, the mention that, you know, if they go with taxpayers uh, or, or with government payment versus uh, consumer payment and what that means and the shift there. And I think there's something really interesting in, in what you're talking about where as, as a, you know, um, employer sponsored health plan, you may think as a consumer that you have all these choices, but in fact, you're actually being constricted on where you can go and it's being dictated to you of how much you can pay and you have no say in that. That's exactly right. Um, uh, the, it's been a false notion, uh, but one, believe it or not, that policymakers and a lot of folks have, have bought into without really thinking it through. But if you get your coverage through your employer, as most people who have private insurance do in this country, you get it through a group, a large employer usually. And it is that somebody who uh, is in the uh, HR department of your company that makes the decision of which health insurance company you will use. Uh, uh, essentially the range of deductibles. You may have two or three options, but those options just uh, uh, are tinkering with the uh, the premiums and the out-of-pockets. You squeeze one and, and you, you're essentially going to pay the same thing. So you have to guess uh, uh, which one is better for you. And most people um, are doing nothing more than a guess. And often it's a bad guess. Uh, so the, the, the whole notion of having freedom of choice is just nonsense. And I wrote a, uh, an op-ed about that for the New York Times now a couple of years ago. But, uh, you know, uh, the industry was able to sell that. And a lot of people bought into the notion that we have choice that we don't really have. When the choice, frankly, that Americans really care about in healthcare is choice of healthcare providers, uh, being able to go to a doctor that we want to go to or get care at a hospital that we we want to uh, uh, have uh, available to us. Uh, those are the choices that we really care about that have been taken away from us. So the, the sleight of hand here is that we've been told that this gives us more choice when it's been used really as a ruse to take choice away from us. Yeah, the, the, the story I tell, the personal story I tell about that, Wendell, is 
because we've had this debate uh, with the book coming out with a lot of people and uh, a lot of folks do talk about, hey, more choice is better and we're getting way more choices and look at the look at the ACA markets. And I my story is, you know, I helped my dad try to find a Medicare Advantage plan in Minnesota and he was eligible for 27 plans, which sounds like that's a lot of choice, right? That's great. There were only two, only yeah. two that contained his provider, um, his system, which was critical for him. You know, he's 82 got to keep his primary care doc, got to keep his cardiologist, got to keep his endocrinologist. So his choice was two um, out of 27, which, which I guess that's a choice. It's better than one, uh, which is no choice, but uh, yeah, it's, it's super interesting to hear that. The other thing that this reminds me of Wendell is um, having been from Minnesota. uh, It always makes me think of the, our former governor, Tim Pawlenty, who ran for president. I don't remember which year, uh, but back when he was governor, he kind of flipped uh, and he went to way more uh, to this kind of market driven idea of consumer driven healthcare. care. Uh, and his quote that probably haunts him is, you know, healthcare should be more of a cash bar than an open bar, which yeah. uh, maybe says it all. So so yeah. let's let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about you've already, you've already, you know, talked about them a little bit, obviously your background in the health insurance industry is, um, you know, fundamental to how you view things today, but let's talk about payers over the next 10 years. You, you do talk about that in the book. Would love to hear, you know, where do you think these pay providers are going? Is that a new name? I, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, um, <laughs> but over this coming decade, you know, uh, what are you seeing from the, from the health plans? Well, I think you will see that they will continue to uh, uh, shape shift, uh, and uh, it's important to pay attention to some of the big players, the big payviders. You're right; it doesn't flow off the tongue yet. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to have to, if if not embrace that, come up with one that uh, we like and <laughs> and get people to start. I, I, in fact, I've been trying to figure that out for some time. Uh, Insurer doesn't. Uh, quite uh, get it anymore and hasn't for a long time. Carrier uh, payers, you know, not all of them have some deficiencies, but anyhow, they're going to change. Uh, but uh, Stephanie noted earlier, uh, their their current love interest that's going to continue for some time is Uncle Sam, is us as taxpayers, not us as consumers. Uh, they, uh, I was looking at United's uh, first quarter 2022 Earnings, which they released uh, not long ago, uh, in, mm-hmm. well, in, in late April, mid-April, and uh, the 100% of their enrollment gain, more than 100%, really, uh, since 2012, has been uh, in the government program space, uh, Medicare Advantage and Medicaid. Uh, United manages a lot of states' Medicaid programs and is the biggest marketer uh, through AARP of Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, they have they had a net loss over a decade of membership or enrollment in their commercial plans, and that includes employer plans. So they lost some ground. They actually lost. They, they serve thirty five thousand fewer commercial enrollees now than they did ten years ago. Uh, but they uh, uh, have 10 million more customers uh, through 
the government programs for Medicare Advantage primarily, but also the Medicaid program. So that's what they care most about now. The government programs have, have become their cash cow, and they are spending enormous sums of money to protect that uh, pipeline of cash into uh, their bank accounts. Uh, and uh, they're very savvy about that. Uh, and they, but they also are changing the, uh, speaking of pay providers, the, they're getting more and more into healthcare delivery. United is now the largest employer of doctors in the country. It owns a lot of, of outpatient facilities. Uh, so it's getting uh, uh, increasingly into uh, healthcare delivery. And the big companies have also figured out uh, that they can make a lot of money on medication. So they've combined with enormous uh, pharmacy benefit management companies. At least uh, United has has the third largest. Uh, Cigna now has the, the largest with uh, its uh, acquisition a couple of years ago of Express Scripts and CVS uh, owns Aetna and Caremark. So these big companies are entirely different from what they were just a few years ago. Uh, so that's how they're changing. They've, they've bulked up through these acquisitions to the point that CVS is now the fourth largest company in the country on the Fortune 500 of US companies. United is number five. Both of those companies will probably exceed $300 billion in revenue uh, this year. So they're, they're huge. And that gives them more money to work with to uh, conduct their propaganda campaigns and their uh, public policy campaigns to protect those profits. Wendell, can I ask you a quick question about the Medicare Advantage and Medicaid um, program? I assume the intent, because that's not that old, right? A decade old, less than a decade old. Um, I assume the intent was, hey, these private companies can run these programs better than the federal government. So let's let them do it. What would the argument be today in defending that model, knowing so much of that money is going right into the the profit coffers of these health plans, which I'm guessing wasn't the intent. Um, Of course, they've got to make some profit, right? They're in business and that had to have been anticipated. But the level, you know, uh, I think I think United had five billion dollars of profit in the first quarter. Now, not all from these government programs, but as you're saying, increasingly so from them. Uh, what's the argument today for for ke- keeping that in place? Well, the argument is that uh, you know they, they they still can get a lot of people to buy into the notion that they can do something more efficiently, and that was the the initial premise. Uh, of both the Medicare Advantage program and the, Medi- the privatization of the Medicaid program was that government can't do anything uh, all that efficiently. There's a lot of waste in government. Uh, so let's uh, turn turn both of them over to the private sector uh, that can do no wrong, or at least can uh, bring business practices to these programs and make them more efficient uh, make them cost less, be more customer or consumer friendly. None of that really has played out. Uh, I'll start with the Medicare Medicaid program just uh, a bit. It actually started, I guess, the privatization in my home state of Tennessee back uh, back in the 90s, I guess it was, oh. when uh, they unveiled TenCare and they began working with a few 
insurers, primarily Blue Cross of Tennessee, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Tennessee, uh, it it was not very well managed at all, and the uh, the the subsequent governor had to scale it back significantly. So right out of the gate, it was not a huge success. But other states uh, uh, started seeing if they could do something comparable to uh, reduce their spending in the Medicaid program, and it just uh, became something that took hold. And almost every state now has turned the management of their Medicaid programs over to private insurance companies with varying success. Uh, Connecticut uh, was among the states recently that went back, uh, you know, ended that program to go back uh, to uh, uh, a more traditional way of managing a Medicaid program because they're seeing it's, it hasn't worked. Uh, they, they haven't been saving a lot of money. Uh, the Medicare program was very similar in that it goes back into the uh, late 80s, actually. Uh, it wasn't very well known, but... Uh, uh, it was a program called Medicare Plus Choice that big insurers uh, got into. It was, a, again, once again, a scheme or uh, that's probably a loaded word. The idea was that uh, private industry can uh, can do a better job, save the, the government money, ensure the Medicare trust fund uh, goes forward uh, in sol- with solvency for years and years and years. And it's working exactly the opposite because uh, to entice these companies to get into the program, uh, they started overpaying them and giving them bonuses. And the companies got addicted to that money uh, and have spent huge amounts of money uh, to keep the, uh, the gushers going. Uh, and uh, it's, it's depleting the Medicare trust fund earlier than it were, ordinarily would be the case. And the government is paying more uh, per Medicare Advantage enrollee than uh, people who are enrolled in the traditional program. So, uh, but they're able to do that because they've got now so many people in this program that gives them a lot of marketing and uh, lobbying clout. Uh, and they uh, entice people into these programs by saying, we'll give you some dental coverage, some hearing coverage, some of this, some of that, uh, uh, discount on a gym membership. People think so they're getting something of value uh, without realizing what they're giving up or that uh, taxpayers are paying these companies more than they deserve. And, 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 and also, uh, these companies have figured out how to gain the system uh, through something called risk scoring we won't get into. Uh, but uh, uh, they've, they've figured out how not only to take advantage of the government's generosity, but how to cheat Uncle Sam as well. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that it's all about convincing people that they're getting something of value and not realizing what they're giving up. Earlier, a minute before, uh, ago, you mentioned, um, you know, these propaganda programs. I love that word, <laughs> propaganda programs that um, that are used by payers or, or payviders um, because they have so much money and profits rolling in and they can then funnel that back into these kinds of goodwill programs. So I was going to ask you about one, which I think was released a couple weeks ago, um, that United Health Group uh, continues to support affordable housing and and funneled an additional $100 million, which now totals $800 million, uh, resulting in 19,000 new homes. So on the surface, that sounds wonderful, right? And there's a lot yeah. of discussion in there about you know the reason why, of course, it's based on social determinants of health and helping people live healthier lives. All that sounds glorious. But then you dig into $800 million and say, 
where is that money coming from and 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 why and what's the purpose of this investment so yeah. i would just love to yeah. hear a little bit of your point of view on 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 things like that yeah and i appreciate that i i was aware of that i'm uh i'm pretty cynical because uh one of the hats that i wore when i was at cigna i i ran uh, or led the cigna foundation um and uh, you you have quite a bit of money in the foundation, but where does that money come from? It comes from you and me, uh, people who pay premiums. And uh, we allow those companies to use a foundation to uh, dispense our money in ways they want to that give them some PR ability or buys them some goodwill. And and I'm sure that what you you know this United program on, on housing will benefit some people. Uh, but why is it their role to do that with our money? Uh, why do we, is it, do they want to continue making us pay more and more out of our own pockets for the care uh, that they used to pay for? Or uh, do they think that we're going to be happy that they're uh, providing, you know, more getting into the housing area? I would say uh, that most people, uh, you know, want to see people get, uh, a good housing, but this is, a, a, in my view, a role for government, not private industry. Uh, they're used, they're doing it. Here's the other thing about uh, social determinants of health is that these companies also are able to collect enormous amounts of data about us. Uh, they have access not only to medical data, but also talk about consumerism again, about how we spend our money. So they uh, are uh, collecting a lot of information about us that we do not know exactly how they're using it. So that's something that I really hope that Congress will will take a look at. These companies spend a lot of our money uh, on ways that uh, give them some PR sheen, uh, uh, but they at the same time are uh, making us pay more and more and more every year for premiums and for care out of our own pockets before they'll pay a dime. And that's what Americans care most about. I will say this, I heard recently someone say, Americans don't really care how much healthcare costs, they care how much it costs them. Uh, so uh, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of a bonus there. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's <laughs> something you ask, ask about, but. Uh, that's, a, that's a great, I'm gonna, we're gonna use that to wrap because that's a really, intriguing concept and i think it's a hundred percent true uh and it's maybe why you don't see pitchforks and and torches out on the street because so many people yeah. who who would lead that kind of um uprising or outcry have commercial insurance most people have not dealt with the you know healthcare where they're receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in bills so it's it's still yeah. you know not something that most people would understand or right. think about or care about until it hits them. Yes. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, uh, we're going to have to have you back, Wendell, because I know you have a ton to talk about in terms of the underinsured, because even the people I'm mentioning now, um, those who are commercially insured who in the past would have been okay are finding themselves deeper and deeper in trouble financially, even with the kind of plans that in the past uh, have really covered people well, whether that's higher deductibles, whether that's lower lifetime limits. There's all kinds of ways that that's happening. Um, yeah. But we're going to have to have you back to talk about that because that could go a whole another half hour, which we we don't want to we don't want to short shrift it. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. I'd love to come back because it is uh, is something that I think uh, 
it's extraordinarily important right now, especially. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, Wendell, thank you so much for coming to our, uh, according to Chase, our CL episode. Is that how you say Roman numerals? CL? I guess there's no other way to say it. That's it. I'm honored. <laughs> uh, the CL guest. Yes. There you go. Yes. You'll, you'll be the CEG, CLG. I don't know. Nothing's working out that's catchy. So we'll just say thank Doesn't you roll so off much the for joining. No, yeah. it does not. It does not. But a lot of good Chasing. minds here. We, we can, we're about to come up with some pithy uh, term for Let's work on pay viders. I don't like that either, but let's see what we can come up with. I like I'm it. I'm with you. I'm, you I'm a fan. A pay viders? Okay. Yes. Oh, I don't know. That I already picked like it up next... and included it in my vocabulary. It's it's oh, already right. in there. It's in my word. All right. That's the next, it's the next superhero <laughs> in the Marvel universe. <laughs> That's right. It's right. pay viders. <laughs> I don't know if he's a superhero or a villain, but it's pay vider. And, right. and somebody has to go out and stop pay vider from... Causing havoc in the yeah. All right, yeah. now we're going. Villain. We're going way off. All right, we should I go stop with villain. We... I go with villain. All right, all right, <laughs> all right, villain. Well, thanks again, Wendell. We appreciate it. Chase and Stephanie, thank you guys as always for joining. Of course, thank you. You enjoyed it. Everybody who's listening, thank you for joining. Let us know if you have anything you want us to cover. Comments, feedback. Shoot us an email at nonormal@reviveagency.com. Make sure you share the show with friends and colleagues. Give us a review. Give us a rating on iTunes. That's always helpful. Let's more people see our podcast. And until next time, don't be satisfied with sesquicentennial. Don't be satisfied with Payvider. Do not be satisfied with that. Push the no normal, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for joining. Three, two, one.